Well, over the past three years, I have acquired a, a, a great perspective and um, a wealth of experience. But the greatest thing that, that I have learned, and I hope that we, we learn today, is that regardless of our circumstances, God is faithful. God has been faithful to us here in the desert. Um, before studying this passage that we're going to look at today, I, I found it quite ironic that the most spiritually awakening time, the most flourishing time, the most um, transforming time in my life has, has been the, the years that I've spent here in the desert. But as God has transformed my life through the life of Habakkuk, I have begun to learn that it's not what surrounds us that defines us. It's what Christ is in us that, that, that drives us to joy. And it's the salvation of our souls that fills us with joy inexpressible and compare, compels us to a heart of worship. You know, regardless to whatever struggles or situations or circumstances you're facing, facing, God is with us. And when we press into the presence of God, even though life seems unfair at times, God meets us and He floods us with His mercy and His grace and His strength and His power and His love. And we're going to see that with the book of Habakkuk. My prayer is that God would also meet you powerfully and transform your lives as we wrap up this series in Habakkuk and what it means to wrestle with God, to wait on God, and today we're going to look at what it means to worship God when life seems unfair. Now, I guess that many of you are facing difficult circumstances in life, challenging situations that you may even question God about, asking, why are you allowing this to happen to me, Lord? Where are you now? Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've been demoted or, or you're, you've had a pay cut. Maybe uh, you've been diagnosed with, with cancer or a sickness. Maybe you're dealing with wayward children or, or your marriage is broken or you're feeling lonely and depressed. I would also guess that most of you at, in some form, or, from some form of uh, prayer have, have called out to God to ask Him to remove those circumstances in your life. And what I want us to see and understand today is that God doesn't always remove the circumstances in our life. It's okay to pray for God to remove the circumstances, but in His perfect will, He, does, he doesn't always do that immediately. But what God does do is promise us to always meet us and pour out His mercy and grace upon us and give us everything we need to face these circumstances when life seems unfair. He promises to give us Himself, which leads to a life of worship, a life where we rejoice in the Lord always. And we see that with the prophet Habakkuk. So today, let's turn to Habakkuk 3. It wraps up our three-part series. It's near the end of the Old Testament. Somewhere before Matthew. We're going to start with verses 17 through 19. 17 through 19 are very common, commonly used for inspiration when we face trials of every kind. But we're going to look into it at a greater context. We'll start with verse 17. Habakkuk 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, 
The produce of the olive fell, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with string instruments. So, what were the circumstances surrounding Habakkuk? And just to recap and, and catch you up to speed, if you remember, Habakkuk was a minor prophet uh, stationed in, in Israel in, around 600 B.C., and this was during a time where Israel had rebelled greatly against God, and, and injustice and wickedness had spread like wildfire, and life didn't seem fair to Habakkuk because of all this sin going on. And so he questions God, where are you at? Why aren't you, why aren't you doing something about all this sin? If you're so good, God, then why are you allowing injustice to prevail? And so we have this conversation with God where Habakkuk questions God and his justice and goodness. This is why I love Habakkuk, right? All the other prophets in the Bible receive a message from God and then deliver it to the people. But we can relate to Habakkuk in that he, Habakkuk received a message from God, and he, he's just like, whoa, hold up here, God. Like, he, he immediately questions God and starts asking all these questions like, you know, God, I'm, I don't think I'm ready for this. Uh, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. And so I love Habakkuk because it, it really relates to us. We can see this dialogue and this conversation back and forth between Habakkuk and, and God. So God answers Habakkuk and says, I am doing something, Habakkuk. You say that I'm not doing anything, but I am doing something. I am coming to judge Israel and punish their great sin. I will not let sin abound forever. I will save my people from their sin as they trust in me. But Habakkuk, here's the kicker. I'm going to use the Babylonians who are far worse, far more evil than you to, to, to bring judgment on Israel for the for horrible sins they have committed. They're going to ravage through and destroy Israel. There will be nothing left of Israel when they are finished. So these are the circumstances that Habakkuk was facing. All of Israel, Habakkuk, his family, his friends, all the people of Israel were facing absolute just annihilation from the Babylonians. And so you can imagine God's answer quite, didn't quite satisfy Habakkuk when he asked what, what he was doing. And so this dialogue continues with Habakkuk complaining and asking more questions and God answering back at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, promising Habakkuk that judgment was coming to those in Israel who lacked faith and had rebelled against God, but also judgment was coming to the Babylonians. In chapter 1, Habakkuk was wrestling with God, asking hard questions, pressing into God. We learn that the word Habakkuk, the name of Habakkuk actually means to wrestle, to embrace to cling on to. And so we were encouraged to do the same. We were encouraged to press into God, cling on to God, embrace God during the difficult times. And then in chapter 2, God tells Habakkuk to wait on God for the vision because it will come at the appointed time. When God promises us something, it's not always instant. Sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. I just love the, the timing of the fact that we've gone through Abraham. If you think about Abraham and Sarah waiting on Isaac to be born. Uh, they waited 25 years until the promise was fulfilled that they were going to have a son. And it just, I was just thinking the other day, 
you know, how the course of history would have changed or it would have been changed if Isaac was born in year one or year two or year three instead of what God had planned for year 25. And we know that, that the descendants of Isaac lead to the birth of Jesus Christ. And so I just want you to know from, from chapter two that as we wait on the Lord, know that no matter how long you wait, God is with us. God has a perfect plan, and um, it's, it's, it's for our good and for his glory. Now, in chapter 3, we see Habakkuk rejoice in God, even when life seems unfair. He knows the judgment is coming. He knows that, that the Babylonians are about to invade Israel and just take everything and wipe everything out. The prophecy was given around 600 to 605 B.C., and the Babylonians invaded in, in 597 B.C. And so uh, Habakkuk didn't know it at the time, but they had about three to anywhere from three to eight years before, um, before Israel was judged by the Babylonians. So Babylonian, or Babylon is about to come and take everything. Habakkuk understands that the Babylonians are about to, to wipe everything out, their produce, take their food. Their houses are going to be burned, destroyed. Their livestock are going to be stolen. Their families are going to be killed. Total destruction is soon to take place. And Habakkuk's like, yeah, you know what? They can take my cars. They can take my camels. They can, they can steal my food, take my house, even murder my family, empty my bank account, max out my credit cards. And his response is, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is astonishing to me. I mean, put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes. How many could rejoice in the Lord if an enemy came into your house in the middle of the night and murdered your family? How many would find joy in God if someone stole your car or burned your house down? It's hard to think about these things, but these are the, this is the circumstance that Habakkuk was dealing with, and yet he was able to rejoice. So the first question we ask is, how is Habakkuk able to rejoice when life seems unfair? And I believe that it is because God reveals himself to Habakkuk and shows him what he has already done and ultimately what he will do for those who trust in him because of his faithfulness. We're going to see that God remind Habakkuk what God has already done through the nation of Israel, for the nation of Israel, with delivering Israel from the Egyptians. And God is also going to be faithful to Habakkuk and those who trust in him. So after wrestling with God, waiting many, many years for God, Habakkuk finally understands who God is and what God will do for Habakkuk and the faithful in Israel. God reveals himself to Habakkuk in the trials he was facing, that we, and we read about that in verse 15, or the first 15 verses. And this leads Habakkuk to worship God. So let's look at verse 1 of Habakkuk 3. God's word says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according, according to Shigianoth. There's a lot to unpack just in this one verse, but just know for now that Shigianoth is, is a musical direction. And so this is meant to be a, a prayerful song or psalm of, of the people. We, we saw in verse 19, it, it gave the direction to the choir master with stringed instruments. So this is something that, that the, the, the people of God would have sung together. It just burst out, burst out in worship. So it says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. 
In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timan and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light, raised flashed from His hand, and there He yielded His power, veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed at His hills. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed And you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Habakkuk is able to rejoice because of what God has done already and will do for those who trust in him by faith. He had the example of, of God leading Israel um, to, to the promised land, escaping, uh, escaping the Egyptians and slavery. And so God was faithful then, and so God is going, he know that God is going to be faithful now. So anytime I read scripture, I always like to ask, who is God in this scripture, and what does he do for us? And so there are just seven things that that I notice, I'm sure there are, there are many more in this particular scripture, but I want us to know these, these seven things because it helps our hearts to just be in awe of, of who God is and it leads us to worship. So number one, God is merciful with his people. And we see this in verse two, Habakkuk asking God, in your wrath, show mercy. He knows that God is, is going to judge the wicked but he knows that, that God is merciful with those who trust in him and that he's going to save, save those who have faith in him. Number two, God fights for his people. This is, this is like, I, I just pictured a, a, a video, a, um, a theatric scene of, of a movie where God is, is fighting for his people, crushing the enemy under his feet, going out and just slashing and slaying those who want to do harm to his people. We see this all throughout this passage, verses 5 through 15. So know that God fights for his people. He's not going to let the enemy destroy you. Number three, God pursues his people. It talked about going out to find his people, salvation of his people. And so know that God pursues us, which is incredible to know that that we don't have to go searching for him. We don't have to to work our way up to God and, and, and... rely on our own selves to get to God, but God 
pursues us. He, he comes to find us. Which leads to number four, God saves his people. Also found in verse 13. He goes out for the anointed. Number five, God strengthens his people. Number six, God equips his people. And number seven, God helps his people overcome. He gives us everything that we need in order to face our trials. And it's, I love the last verses where it says, he makes our feet like the deers, which means that he gives us the sure-footed confidence to stand on top of the mountain, overlooking all the, all the trials that we've, we've faced and the circumstances that surround us. He gives us the uh, confidence that we need. So he strengthens, he equips, and he helps us overcome. Now, even with knowing what God has done in the past and trusting what he promises to do for us in the present and future, the raw emotions were still there for Habakkuk. And we see this in verse 16. It says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. In this weird, unexplainable way, Habakkuk was both fearful and filled with joy and peace. Peace knowing that God is sovereign and working all things out together for his good and to those who are faithful, those who are trusting in the promise of God, those who are waiting on the Lord. Habakkuk was able to rejoice when life seemed unfair because of who God is and what God has done in salvation, not in what God has given to him as an earthly benefit, and not because he changed his circumstance. If you look through, through Habakkuk, the, the entire book, Habakkuk doesn't pray for his circumstance to be changed or to, to be removed, not saying that that's wrong, but, but he's looking to the God of his salvation, and this is what gives him joy. It's not in the material things or the earthly benefit, but joy is in the God of our salvation. That was true for Habakkuk, and it's true for us today. Our joy comes from the God of our salvation. Our joy comes from knowing our Savior. My favorite verse, Psalm 16 and 11 says, In your gifts, there is fullness of joy. In earthly benefit is endless joy. In changed circumstances, there is fullness of joy. No. It says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, God, I don't desire anything else other than you. I want to know you, God. I just want to be with you and spend time with you, spend time in your presence. This is what gives us ultimate joy. Most of you may not know, but before we had Weston, um, we, we lost our second child to, uh, during Michelle's pregnancy, and I still think about the pain of the day that the doctors, you know, informed us and, and said, you know, there's, there's no heartbeat, and um, obviously we were devastated, and, and we, were, we were praying, oh, we were praying for a heartbeat. We prayed for God to, to work a miracle. We prayed for God to change our circumstance. But when we realized God chose to take his baby, we began to pray for God to change and heal our hearts. We prayed that God would be the source, our source of strength, 
our source of comfort, our refuge, and our joy. Life didn't seem fair. There were many nights asking, why, God? Why would you do this? And through time, time wrestling with God and waiting on God, we were able to rejoice in the God of our salvation, even when life seemed unfair. In a weird, unexplainable way, we were both heartbroken, but at the same time filled with joy and peace. We were filled with joy because the God of our salvation was with us, and we were in His presence. We were filled with peace because the sovereignty of God in our lives. My friends, whatever we lose here on earth, even if we lose it all, God remains, and our salvation is secure in Him. However, many of us don't believe that because we aren't seeking joy in the God of our salvation, but rather seeking joy in earthly benefit. Many of us rejoice in God, not for simply who He is, but because of what He gives us or, or, or blesses us with. He gives us Himself. Who cares what else He gives us? He gives, them, he gives us Himself. He blesses us with His presence, and that's it. Not that's it, but that's it. That's, that's all we need. He's all we live for. Our joy doesn't come from health or wealth. Our joy doesn't come from our spouses or our children. Our joy doesn't come from our career or beer or steak or deer. Our joy comes from the Lord. So stop living for these things. Stop living for your children. Stop living for your spouse. Stop living for your job. Stop living for your vacations and hobbies. And all these things are good. And God has given us all these things to enjoy. But there's a key word of that joy. It's in joy. And so we, we enjoy those as we are in Christ. These should all point us to the glory of Christ. It should all help us to see Christ more clearly and how good Christ is. Our purpose here on earth is far beyond the gifts God has, has given us. Our purpose is to worship Jesus as our all-satisfying treasure, our all-satisfying joy. And how often we lose sight of this, especially when trials come our way and we don't wrestle with God and we don't wait on God. We get impatient, try to do things our way. The beautiful thing about the gospel, though, is that even when we don't want anything else other than to glorify ourselves and worship ourselves, and to seek the gifts of God rather than the presence of God, God, being rich in His mercy and grace, chose to send Jesus to die in our place as the greatest act of love in history so we can see how worthy God is to be praised. He knew that we were, he, he created us to worship Him for all of eternity, and because of our own sin and our own selfishness and our own pride and our own worshipful of, uh, worship of ourselves, we, we look away from the beauty of God and we start to look at ourselves. And God knew that, that we would forever do this if, if Jesus did not come to rescue us and die in our place, forgive us of our sins so we can see how glorious God really is. We ruin that because of our sin. But God is merciful, and through Jesus, we can totally be forgiven of all of our sins. And when we ask Jesus to forgive us and trust in Him for our salvation, the relationship is restored. We still have to fight for faith, and we will have to fight for joy all the days of our earthly lives. But whenever we call on Jesus and ask Him to draw near to us, He gladly will. So you may ask, you know, I'm struggling 
Zach, to find joy in my circumstances? How do I have the type of joy Habakkuk had? I can't see myself losing everything I have and still be able to rejoice in the Lord. I don't think I can take joy in the God of my salvation when life seems unfair. What can I do to have joy in the Lord when life seems unfair? By asking this question, you've already taken the first step of confessing that you can't do it. You can't come to God. You can't have joy in God. Confessing that you are weak and need Christ to give you joy in Him is the first step that we must take to find this type of joy. God hears you and delights in you when you come to Him in humble prayer. Habakkuk came to God and said, I'm fearful. I've seen what you can do. Show mercy on me, God, for I'm a sinful man. And God met Habakkuk. So we confess that we are weak and need Christ to forgive us or give us joy in Him. Secondly, look back and think about what God has done in the course of history and in your life. Just out of curiosity, by by a show of hands, how many of you are alive today? I see some hands not up. Okay, somebody give them an elbow. I've, I've thought about over the past 31 and a half years, and, and, and today I am standing here. And so I can look back and see that God has been faithful to give me everything I need for my past 31 and a half years. Now, you're all better looking and younger than I am, so you know your, your time with God has, has not, not been as much. But no, think about how faithful God has been to you over the past 30, 40, 50, 60, and so on years, and you are still breathing today. You are here. So just by that, know that God is is faithful. Habakkuk reflected back on how God was faithful to save his people from the Egyptians. And think about your lives and how far God has brought you thus far as well. Number three, preach God's promises to yourself. God's promises are the fuel that, that keeps our faith burning. When we don't trust God's promises, our faith will suffer. We have to trust in all that God promises to be to us in Christ Jesus. Every problem that we face, every struggle, every temptation, every doubt that we face, it's because we're not trusting in all that God promises us to be to us in Jesus. God has promised to meet us in those situations and and give us everything we need to tread on high places. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Christ for the salvation of your souls or the forgiveness of your sins. And we are glad you're here. This, it's no accident that you're sitting in this room today. Just know that God wants to meet you in every need you have. He desires you. He's pursuing you. He's asking you to, to see me. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at these gifts. They're good and I give them to you to enjoy, but, but look at me, the creator of, of these gifts, the creator of all. He's pursuing you and, 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 and asking you to come to him because in his presence there is fullness of joy. But no, this life won't come easy. You won't have your best life now. Oh, but for eternity, your soul will rest. No more pain. We sung about this earlier. No more pain. No more suffering. No more heartaches, no more injustice, no more unfairness, no more corruption, no more slavery, no more depression, no more sin. 
In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So friends, whenever you're, you face the unfairness of life, don't give up. Don't turn your back on God. Press into Him. Wrestle with Him. Habakkuk Him. And then wait on the Lord because His timing is perfect. And lastly, rejoice in the God of our salvation. Rejoice in the Lord always because He is our joy. Everything could be taken away from us, but God remains and He is faithful. And we sing this as well. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's pray. Faithful forever you are, Lord. God, your ways are everlasting. You are eternal. God, you created us for for your pleasure, your glory, and, and for us to enjoy you, God. And because of our sin, Lord, we don't see that as clearly, Lord. We don't see your, your power and your majesty. We don't see your beauty, Lord. We don't see the joy. And so we seek these things. We seek joy in, in, in other things, God. We seek it in our, our careers. We seek it in our families. We seek it in, in wealth and health, Lord. Forgive us, God, for doing this, Lord, because we know that in your presence there is fullness of joy, not partial joy, not some joy now and then some later, but Lord, you say in your presence now there is fullness of joy, God. So I pray for every person in here, Lord, that is lacking in joy. Those who are depressed, persecuted, those who are facing financial difficulties, Lord, those with broken marriages, God, those with health issues, Lord, and many others, God, maybe they're seeking pleasure, maybe they're seeking joy in, in, in what the world can give us to kind of ease our pain, God. God, would you meet them where they are at right now, Lord? God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to just fall on this place, God. May we experience the joy like never before, Lord, that nothing in this world can offer us. God, all in this world is, is, is vanity, Lord. But you, you, God, you are the giver of all these things, Lord. And so let us fix our eyes upon you, Jesus. God, may we fix our eyes upon the cross, Lord. God, we were dead in our sins. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So church, look to, look to Jesus. Look to the cross for your joy. Look to the God who, who saved you. And if if he hasn't saved you yet, I pray that you would come to him now, God. God, we pray that those that don't know you would see your beauty, Lord. See that these things that they look to cannot give them the joy that you can. God, as we worship, Lord, let our hearts just be abandoned before you. Help us to rejoice in the Lord always. To rejoice, take joy in the God of our salvation. God, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. Lord, everything can be taken from us. God, I pray that you would meet us and that you would give us your presence, Lord. Unending, unexpressible, unexplainable joy, God. We know that, that there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning, Lord. So give us this joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.